genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Hi, and welcome back to Why I Believe. I'm joined here in the studio with Michael and Brad. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Christian. Thanks for listening. Now, we're continuing a series exploring reasons for faith, why uh, people today, people that do believe in science, people that I guess are integrated in wider culture, not people who are sort of wacky on the fringes with conspiracy theories <laughs> and who believe in the flat earth, would have the audacity to take faith seriously and especially the Bible to look at it uh, as something that provides valuable insights for life. Now, over the last few sessions, we've been talking about this concept of where does evil come from? If God is so good, why is there evil? Why did he allow this to happen and why does he intervene? We explored this great controversy between God and between one of the angels that he created. And we also looked at the concept of freedom. And we really repeated a few times the idea that genuine love requires genuine freedom. Mm. Um, You can't have genuine, uh, warm, authentic, happy relationships if there's no freedom. Mm. Uh, The same way nobody really gets excited about having a robot that, you know, says, I love you. (laughs) <laughs> it has to be authentic from a genuine heart. Now, as we were wrapping up our last session talking about um, how selfishness became a part of human nature here on earth, we also started to explore this idea that uh, there is a solution, that God has a plan. We looked at Romans 6.23 that says the wages of sin is death, uh, but life is possible, is available through Jesus. Now, before we start to look at the solution and how Jesus fits into the picture, I thought it'd probably be good to pause for a few moments and spend today talking about who Jesus is. Uh, we'll look a little bit at, at historically, and then we'll look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus. Um, what do you know about Jesus from history outside of the Bible? Ooh, there's a couple of Jewish historians that mm-hmm. talk about him, um, some Roman historians that talk about him basically saying that he was a Jewish guy who appeared around, well, around 0 BC slash AD or however you say it, and he was caused quite an uproar in Jewish society. Mm-hmm. Even just in like culture generally, it's, it's, it's so widely recognized that um, Christianity as a religion has its roots founded on a man by the name of Jesus. Even mm-hmm. if people don't know anything else, they know him as the founder of the Christian religion. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I mean, it's something that you hear probably in every second Hollywood movie or, or sitcom, I mean, used inappropriately, yeah. but it's a name that is used all the time. Some people have the idea that even the concept of Jesus existing was myth. Uh, but I like what you said, Brad, when you start to look at some Jewish historians, some Roman historians, mm. neither of which had a bias to, uh, to uphold to Jesus' claims, yeah, to want to acknowledge Jesus, they mentioned that he lived they mentioned that he died. Mm. They mentioned that he was crucified. They mentioned his believers believed yep. that he had resurrected. Yep. They mentioned they worshipped him as a god. Um, so we have quite a lot of historical insights. And I'd encourage you, obviously on radio we don't have a chance to go into all the references, but do a search online for um, history about Jesus mm. or the history of Jesus. And you'll find that there are quite a lot of, um, well, not a lot, but there are enough references Mm. outside of the Bible and outside of Christianity to say Jesus lived and the big picture things that the Bible talks about actually happened. Like particularly a guy called Josephus Mm. and he is very widely regarded as a very historically accurate historian Mm -hmm. and he comments a lot on 
the character of Jesus yep. and the early Christian church. Absolutely. Which is really interesting. And obviously the Jews were no fans of Christians at the time. No. So he's not exactly trying to do Christians a favor. He's simply recording history as it is. A good uh, historian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that as you look at the manuscript evidence as well, and again, I'd encourage you to do this, uh, look up manuscript evidence for the New Testament. Um, you know, most of the history that we have um, wasn't recorded, written, and passed down to us accurately and perfectly from two, three, five thousand years ago. Someone may have written a book that was copied by hand because obviously they didn't have printing presses back then. Mm. Copies of copies of copies of copies about 500 to 1,000 years later ended up being found. And based on those kinds of things, we say we know pretty well what happened in history. Sometimes from the date of the copy to the date of the original writer was up to a thousand years. That's mm-hmm. how we know about the Greeks, about the Romans, uh, the Egyptians. We know, I guess, a fair bit from their hieroglyphics. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to Christianity, what the early Christians wrote about Jesus and from when we have copies of manuscripts or, or fragments of manuscripts is as little as, as 15, 20 years uh, for the Gospel of John and one to 200 years at the most for pretty much everything else that we find in the New Testament. Um, so have a look at that online, but uh, the reliability of the manuscripts is extremely high. In fact, it's much higher than any other historical source we have. So if we want to say, oh, the history has been copied, changed, modified, well, if we want to discount the New Testament Gospels or the books of the New Testament, we need to discount pretty much all of history mm-hmm. because the New Testament has greater manuscript validity than any other historical source. Yep. And the archaeological evidence too really supports a lot of the things yeah. that the New Testament says. The places, the names, the events, people mm-hmm. like Pilate, Caiaphas, some of the Roman uh, officials as well. So look, the evidence is there. Uh, that's why people, young people, people with uh, an understanding and appreciation for science and history can look up the data and say, you know what? It's convincing. There's enough there to say Jesus did exist, and at least the things that the Bible says he did, or many of them, are also recorded in history. The resurrection, that's another story. (laughs) Uh, We do find some references to the resurrection in other sources, uh, but none affirming that it happened, mostly just saying... It claimed. It was claimed. It was claimed. That's exactly right. So they're the kind of things that are worth exploring Mm -hmm. um, online in history about Jesus. He existed, and he did a lot of the things that the Bible says he did. Let's have a look at what the Bible says about Jesus, as who he was, why he was here, and what he was to do. Let's start with Matthew, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Brad, I can see you're close to that. Maybe you'd like to read Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay. Now, we're not going to go into the details of the Christmas story. Uh, Suffice to say, for most people living in Western culture, they would have heard of it. They would have seen nativity scenes. Uh, A young woman, a teenager, falls pregnant. But according to the New Testament, it was God uh, that brought about this child rather than a physical relationship. His name is to be Jesus, but here it also says Emmanuel. Mm. And it means God God with with us. Which is an interesting thing because, like, you know, you think of other deities, you know, their concept of a, a close, nearby, personal deity rather than some distant, far away being. Mm. That's, yeah, like, you know, the like Matthew's really bringing out that closeness and the, you know, wanting to be connected, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Now, there's a couple of ways of interpreting this. Does it mean that Jesus is God with us, or is it just a name to remind people be called. that God is with us? But mm. it says he will be called, and um, there's another passage that gives us another clue that links into this. It's in John chapter 1 and verse 1. So in Matthew, we're told that Jesus is God with us, which is quite a powerful, interesting claim. Yeah. Uh, and then John 1 verse 1, uh, I guess, makes it even clearer, just in case anyone has any doubts. John chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, and as you keep reading there through the next 14, 15 verses, who is the Word? It becomes revealed as you read further on, that's Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and I'd encourage you to read through that passage. It makes it very clear that that is Jesus. So looking at these two passages, what does the Bible or the New Testament claim uh, that Jesus is? God. God. It's pretty clear. It's a very bold claim, but it's mm-hmm. a very clear claim as what's been claimed. Absolutely. And it's interesting that there are many other religions um, that obviously have a concept of God, uh, but this is probably the, the main theme in any religion where God becomes human, dwells amongst people, and shows them a better way. So according to the Bible, Jesus was God. Mm. But it gets a little bit more complicated than that. Let's go to John 3.16, just a few pages away. Maybe, Brad, if you'd like to read that, please. John 3.16. I probably don't even need to look it up, but no, I will. Just it's for a the very well-known verse, right. that one, isn't it? <laughs> for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Okay. So, a couple of things, and let's just dwell a few minutes on this. For one, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Who is his Son that he's talking about? Jesus. Okay, so God gave Jesus, but we said Jesus was? God. God. So God gave God. Son was. It gets a bit confusing. Tell me a little Mm. bit about that. How do we make sense of that? How does this fit in? It's it's one of those things that as a human being, like we're trying to understand the nature of God. The Bible reveals a certain amount, but it also stretches our mental capacity. (laughs) It's to try and fully grasp, you know, who God is and how that relationship between the Father, the Son, it really does stretch the mind. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It was something that my wife and I have spent many hours trying to understand, you know, what is what is the difference between God and Jesus? Are they different? Is it just because they have a spiritual characteristic that we can't really understand? Because we're really limited to a physical form. Yeah. Whereas if you have something that, like God, who is a spiritual being, and he can be physical, but he doesn't have to be, mm-hmm. is it that God stays in a spiritual form, whereas Jesus takes on the physical form in order for us to interact with him? Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. Back in John chapter 1, it continued on and said, the word became flesh mm-hmm. and lived among us. So, you know, it wasn't originally, but became flesh mm-hmm. to live among us. Um, yeah. You know, these are sorts of things which... They take a bit of trying to get your head around, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of sitting in some physics classes and one of my teachers um, said that a reporter um, asked one of Einstein's contemporaries, uh, is it true that there are only three people in the world who understand Einstein's theories? And the contemporary said, who are the other two? <laughs> uh, you know, so it's a little bit like that where... Um, some things are beyond understanding. Suffice to say, the Bible gives us an overall view that looks something like this. There is God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit, three beings, and we're going to spend some time looking at this in a later session, looking at the concept of the Godhead. Some people use the word Trinity or Triune, um, but three distinct separate beings that do different things, uh, but essentially the Bible calls them all one. And all God. And all God, yeah. Um, Mind-bending stuff. But not gods. No, no, (laughs) not plural. Um, There's no perfect analogy, I don't think, that can ever describe it because it's not something that we understand completely. And I think that's probably why a lot of people can struggle with it. Some some people even throw out the concept completely because Mm. they can't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Light can be a particle and a wave, right? <laughs> so even in the physical world, there's yes, confusion supreme. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and but we dis- accept that. Absolutely. Yeah, light yeah. exists. We Absolutely. don't disbelieve that. Yeah. That's we don't really disbelieve it. So here it says that God the Father loved the world so much that he gave God the Son to live and to die that the world might be saved. When we come back from the break, we're going to look a little bit more at uh, what it means that Jesus came to save. Setting sun on Uluru A mother's whispered, I love you The winning goal in extra time It was his idea The friend to hold you in your grief The shooting star, the coral reef That beautiful discovery was his idea It was his idea He's the reason that we're here Jesus got his fingerprints On everything that's good The tender touch of skin on skin The oxygen we're breathing in The song, the dance, the work of art It was his idea The hunger inside me and you That longs for grace and justice too Mercy by another's blood That was his idea It was his idea He's the reason that we're here Jesus got his fingerprints On everything that's good Not chasing mist Not playing chance Not by an empty circumstance When every atom, every cell screams It was his idea His idea He's the reason that we're here Jesus got his fingerprints On everything that's good It was his idea He's the reason that we're here Well, Jesus got his fingerprints On everything that's good Say we're made 
We live, we die There is no truth that God's a lie One day every tongue will cry It was his idea Welcome back to Why I Believe. We're talking about Jesus. Who is Jesus? We've explored a little bit about history and the idea that there are many sources outside of the Bible that validate that Jesus lived, that he died, and that his believers believed he rose again. We looked at a little bit at what the Bible has to say. The Bible says that Jesus is God. The Bible says that Jesus is part of the Godhead. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God the Father loved humanity so much that he wanted to save us from this mess called sin, death, and selfishness, that he gave Jesus to intervene. Let's look at a couple of more verses that give us a, a better picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Let's go to Luke chapter 19, and I think we're up to you, Brad, if you'd like to read verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Okay, lost. What do you think that concept of lost. Now, the Son of Man, let me backtrack. The Son of Man is talking about Jesus. This is Jesus talking about himself. And he says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. In what way lost? Lost from God, I suppose. Mm. In that we can't really be in a full relationship with him when sin's getting in the way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Lost in the sense of eternally lost, in the sense that in the Bible, God reveals that eternity is only promised to those who are in relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And the Bible describes that sin disconnects us from God. And so that's part of the saving, isn't it, of, of reconnecting mm. and allowing that to be found. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about sin equating to selfishness and how selfishness is destructive. It's destructive to our relationships with others and ultimately it becomes self-destructive. Have any of you gentlemen been lost? Oh, yeah, yeah. Been significantly lost? lost? No, no, physically, physically in real lost. life. Yeah. In a shopping centre? A few times, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The good thing with the shopping set is you still roughly know where you are. It took me 20 minutes to get out of one of them recently. Uh, Especially when your, your car meter's ticking over. And yes. Yeah. yes. I followed Google Maps somewhere that it shouldn't have taken me and got severely lost in the middle of some mountains. You think of people that get lost uh, of explorers, that got lost in Antarctica or they got lost in, yeah. in deserts. When you're lost in a physical space, um, especially if you're an explorer, a traveler, a wanderer, it usually means death. Yeah. When mm. when adventurers and pioneers got lost, you, you never heard from them. Mm. Decades later, someone found their bones. So what you've both shared sums this up. The Bible talks about being lost as being devoid of a relationship with God, mm. which ultimately leads to self-destruction, mm. um, implosion. So here the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus came to save his purpose the reason he came to earth, the reason why we read about his stories in the New Testament is, is for one thing and one alone. That's to save us from being lost, which is ultimately death, and obviously to restore us to life. Let's look at a few more verses. Michael, if you'd like to read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What does this tell us about Jesus? There's a few things, isn't there? Like yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's saying that he's not a replica, but he's, he's likening him to being so close to the Father in 
Yeah. There's a really close link. In fact, Jesus, when his disciples asked him, hey, we want to see the Father. We want to see God the Father. Yeah. Jesus says, if you've seen me. You've seen the Father. You've seen mm. the Father. I yep. am the Father in physical form, essentially. Yes. This is what God is like. Yeah, that sums um, it up. Yeah. Now, some people, when they read the Bible, especially some of the difficult, challenging passages in the Old Testament, mm. they say, oh, that was the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is much nicer. <laughs> um, again and again, you go through the Bible and Jesus mm. says, I am yeah. He, in the Old Testament, it was me. In the New Testament, it's me. In fact, in John chapter 8, when the Pharisees and religious leaders really press him, um, he says, I am, yeah, which is a direct link to mm. Yahweh, Jehovah, the Creator God. Absolutely. When Moses sees a burning bush in the Old Testament, he says, what's your name? God says, I, I am. am. Yep. I am. Uh, which is a really powerful name because it implies something outside of time. <laughs> Eternity. Oh, that's another mind-bending concept. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was, I will be. No, God is. Mm. Totally I, outside. I reckon I could almost understand eternity into the future, but eternity into the past, oh, <laughs> that's, that just blows the mind. I mm. can't get it. doesn't make sense, which is why kids always ask the question, who made God? Yes. That's how we think. We always think in terms of time and a beginning. God yep. says, I have no beginning. And really, to me, I mean, if you can get close to understanding, you're doing far better than me. <laughs> uh, I, it, it doesn't make sense. It's something had to happen before something. And I think that's what uh, we talked about this before. Yeah. The whole scientific world revolves around there being a beginning to everything, yeah. which is why sometimes they get a little bit confused because who started the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, if you consider, again, you know, God being omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, the only thing that can kind of be all those things is, is energy mm-hmm. of some sort. And the only thing that can exist in some sort of sense outside of time is something that's moving so incredibly fast that time does not matter and we've yet to discover something physical that can do that but in a sense if god exists outside of time well then it's it's no big deal for him that's right but that's mind-boggling how can something exist outside of time yep i I still don't really get it (laughs) i I can kind of make a little argument about it but i don't know if it's right so here it says that jesus is a representation or a reflection and the embodiment of what God is like. Mm. So when we see Jesus in the New Testament, as we read the stories, this is what God is like. This is who he is. This gives us an understanding of his character, of his love, of his goodness, of what he values as important. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 20 and 28, and let's look at what Jesus, who is God, um, chooses to do with the life that he has as he comes to earth. And I think we're up to you, Brad. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Insights Mm. from this verse? Well, it's mind-blowing. Why would the Creator choose to let his life be destroyed to save his created beings? I mean, it's almost like, like if there was an ant nest that was in trouble and the only way it could be saved was for me to personally intervene, for me to choose to actually die to save this ant nest. And yet it's more than that because, I mean, I didn't make the ant nest. And like the difference in terms of the humanity compared to God is far greater than for Mm. me to an ant. But why? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I might have gone with cockroaches instead of... (laughs) 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 And uh, you know, what you highlighted is, is absolutely vital. God made us and he could make another ant's nest we can't even do that. 
you know. Um, the only thing that helps us understand with that analogy, though, is he made us and he loves us. Mm. And as humans, we can understand a little of that love for our children. Mm. You know, we'll do things for our kids that we would never do for anyone else. Yeah. Mm. And that just helps us give a slight glimpse, I guess, into Absolutely. that love of, as yeah, the creator. Now, the word ransom there, it's used in this passage in quite a few others in the New and Old Testament. The word ransom um, is the foundation of the entire Old Testament sanctuary where a person does something wrong and they're ransomed basically by sacrificing another animal. It's really a legal concept uh, and it's powerful that Jesus uses it to express what he is there to do. If you have any society with laws, with order, there has to be discipline. There has to be consequences for a breach of the laws of, of that particular society. Mm-hmm. What happens if there are no consequences? Well, then there's no justice. No justice. What value do the laws have? None. And a society without laws leads to? Lawlessness. Anarchy. Yeah. Anarchy. Yeah. Anarchy. Lawlessness. Yeah. Chaos. And ultimately, really? Death. Death. Yeah. You know, that's the result of Um, You see what happens when there are massive floods, massive natural disasters, and the police force leaves the area, looters come in, it's, you know, survival of the fittest. It's amazing how quick it happens, you know, even in a a civilized, nice society. Absolutely, absolutely. So Mm. you have to have some sort of consequence for a breach of the laws of a society. And God says that there are consequences for being selfish in this universe. Most of them are self-inflicted, but if he doesn't, allow consequences to take their toll. Basically, as a universe, it's in chaos, a universe that will self-implode. The concept of ransom, though, says, yes, there are consequences, but instead of the person who's committed the wrong, paying the punishment, being disciplined, experiencing the consequences, Jesus used the concept of a ransom, which is a replacement. Mm. Someone else paying up. Someone else paying up. So, hey, the law stands. Justice stands, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your consequence. I'm going to take your punishment. We're going to trade places. That way we don't destroy the laws of this society or community. They still stand. Mm. Someone's still suffering. Someone's still paying, but it won't have to be you or I. Mm. It will be God himself that comes to do that. Mm. And that's, that's powerful. This is what Jesus came to do. Now, do we understand exactly how this works? Is there a ledger in heaven that asks for this much blood from Jesus to be shed? Uh, I think it's far greater than that. Mm. You know, I think it's a concept that God says, um, I'm choosing to take punishment in general for each and every being that I've created. Mm. And only God can do that because only he created us. He's the only one that truly can provide something of of greater value than than what he can create. Mm. He provides himself. Yeah. It's like the judge is the only one that can really do something about consequences in court. Yeah. Yep. Only the judge can make a decision and say, okay, I'm going to take your fine for you. Anybody else in the court can come and offer, but they don't have the power or authority. Now, mm. one other thing in this verse, it says he came to serve. Mm. What kind of insight does that give us about God and about Jesus, who is God? Well, this whole verse points to a very different God than any other in any other religion to me. Yeah. Mm. I don't. I can't think of again any other god in any other religion that came to serve other people. Mm. You know, yeah, um, it's the opposite to any human rulership or yep. um, you know authority figure. You know, normally authority figures, powerful, mm. powerful rulers, powerful beings. You're not there to serve. You're yep. being served, and mm. it just doesn't humanly make sense. Yep, and even even in other ones, I mean, Buddhism as an example. 
Yep. I mean, you don't necessarily have other people serve you, but the idea is that you have no connection to other people. Mm. So in a sense, it's just all about yourself. And yeah. that's you go through your cycles of purging desire and that mm. sort of thing to but again it's all about yourself just thinking about mm. yourself focusing on yourself whereas jesus is very different to that and in every other world religion you initiate an act of service to mm. receive something from your god yep from your deity yeah and it's as you said it's always selfish i want financial wealth i want more children i want prosperity therefore i worship this god and i will have all this what Jesus does is completely and totally different. Yeah. He came to serve. Were we asking for salvation? It was humanity saying, oh, we can't wait for a savior that will teach us to love each other. <laughs> no, they no. crucified him, didn't yeah. they? And to this day, people mock him and blaspheme using his name in all sorts of derogatory ways. Mm. And yet he came first to do something for us. And he's not asking us to do something for him. He's saying, if you'll accept what I've done for you, yeah. then you will be the beneficiary of even more blessings. Yeah. Your life will be better in this one and the next. Mm. So who is Jesus? How do we sum this up? Historically, who was Jesus? He was a real guy. Yep, he Did lived. Yep. yep. And he lived and he died. Yep. And a lot of people believed that he rose again. And I would say billions of people have given their life to him. Yeah. And hundreds mm. of millions have died. Mm because of their belief and faith in him. Yeah. So this isn't some sort of, uh, you know, children's fairy tale. So historically, he lived and died. It's impacted the world. Yeah. Yep. Biblically, who was Jesus? God and the Son of God at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who has come to earth, showed us how to live. Yeah. Showed us how to serve. Came as a human. Absolutely. God with us. He lived yeah. amongst us for the sole purpose of doing what for us? Saving us. Of saving us. Saving us from being lost. Yep. From a, a certain indefinite doom. That really is self-inflicted. Mm. Comes to save us from ourselves and from the consequence of our selfish actions. Sounds like a cool guy. Absolutely. Now, next time we're here together, we're going to look at this process of salvation. What does it mean? What does it look like? How are we involved? How much does it cost? Thank you for joining us, and look forward to being with you next time on Why I Believe. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us and we'll see you next time.